Hello, and welcome to Global Data Pod, America's edition. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the top questions on the Latin America 2022 economic outlook. I'm here with Cassiana Fernandez, the chief economist for Brazil, Gabriel Lozano, the chief economist for Mexico and Central America Caribbean, and Diego Pereira, the chief economist for the Southern Cone and Peru. Uh, and I lead our group, and I also uh, am the chief economist for the North Andean region. Um, we've been speaking with lots of investors the last few weeks in the context of our 2022 year-ahead outlook for Latin America. Uh, of course, we've been reviewing our main forecast variables like growth and inflation, but there's obviously been a significant amount of discussion about the interaction of the, the global backdrop. In particular, we have strong commodity prices, but we also have a Fed now in a much more determined tightening mode. These are always dynamics which are impactful for uh, the external backdrop for our region. Um, but we also have local dynamics that are, of course, shaping the outlook, and we've got a lot of idiosyncratic stories that we've been needing to discuss with, uh, with our investors. In particular, we've, we've been talking about uh, the outlook for high inflation in the region, uh, the timing for the peak of, of inflation, um, the eventual consolidation of fiscal policy, which has in much of the region still been in pandemic emergency mode, uh, and how these variables are, are shaping monetary policy in the region. Uh, and with all these points comes the inescapable discussion around how uh, noisy Latin American politics and elections are, are shaping the risks around policymaking. Uh, so with that, let's, let's go around the horn with our chief economists to have them summarize the top questions that we've been getting as we've been having this discussion with investors uh, and, and to summarize briefly how we've been responding. Um, Cassiana, let's start with you and, and the outlook and the questions you've been getting on Brazil. Thanks, Ben. Well, we are starting to see more interest of investors in Brazil. I think that price levels, especially after the underperformance last year, seem to be more attractive now, especially on the rates and currency side. So a question we have been getting from nearly all investors is on the inflation dynamics, as you mentioned, uh, and its impact on the monetary policy outlook and in the short term. And of course, the main point of interest for the year uh, at least for Brazil, is the general election next October that will elect not only the president, but all the 513 members in the lower house, one third of the members in the Senate, and all 27 state governors and local assemblies. Uh, and of course, uh, is already driving most of the policy discussions. So uh, on the inflation outlook, we believe it will take longer to see a meaningful disinflation process. Uh, Brazil led uh, the process of higher inflation uh, last year. Uh, and uh, we do believe IPCA should be stickier in the short term, due mostly to the concentration of price adjustments with high level of indexation, at least up to April, ruling around uh, the double digits levels. And then uh, leading the central bank to continue the monetary policy tightening with at least another 150 bips hike uh, already in February, and then a final 100 bip hike uh, in March. That will be the steepest hiking cycle since inflation target regime began, with an accumulated uh, 175 bips hikes uh, to 1175 which in the context of an already weak economic outlook, we had already uh, GDP, negative GDP prints in the second and third quarter last year. We are also expecting another negative print in the fourth quarter. Uh, and on the top of all the policy uncertainties should bring Brazil back to a recession starting again 
in the second quarter of this year. So this outlook uh, will contain demand pressures and will lead to uh, will lead inflation to decelerate more aggressively, mostly in the second half of the year. Uh, we believe towards up to five percent at the end of the year. There are risks, of course, uh, to this outlook, especially on the short term. I would mention, in particular, on the commodity fronts, agriculture with the droughts in the south, and most important for Brazil, oil price dynamic has been uh, concerning. Uh, if we see oil prices, they are up already 15% since the beginning of the year. And also uh, the impact of further political noise uh, and any additional fiscal deterioration should have an impact on BRL and inflation expectations are also concerning when we are talking about the speed and the cost of this disinflation process. But in all, we are convinced that the almost 12% nominal rates will help to bring inflation on a downward trend, uh, specifically uh, in the second half of the year. And then on the election outlook, it's important to say that it, this is an atypical election, as for the first time we have the incumbents running for re-election performing so poorly on the polls, uh, which in the context of this uh, challenging economic outlook that I just described, make it more difficult to call for the election results. Uh, and of course, to have visibility on the policies that will be implemented uh, after 23. Uh, as uh, right now, we are still eight months away of the elections. Still, uh, we work with a baseline scenario that it will be a volatile year, a lot, and, a lot of back and forth, uh, especially on the policy guidance, uh, but it should remain a polarized election between the two leading candidates. And uh, even though we are not constructive on the overall uh, policy agenda beyond 23, specifically in terms of more market-friendly economic policies, we do believe that the next government will seek macroeconomic stability. As everyone knows, it will be very difficult to have governability without controlling inflation and therefore addressing at least in part uh, the fiscal concerns. Thanks, Cassiana. Well, as usual, there's plenty of questions that we have uh, around Brazil, and, and you'll have another busy year. Uh, Gabriel, let's turn to you. Uh, how would you summarize the top questions we're getting on Mexico as we start 2022? Hi, Ben. Uh, thank you very much for this. Um, well, the, it's, it's been interesting, given that uh, a number of uh, clients have been calling Mexico boring, which uh, to some extent is good, but to some extent is bad as well. Um, I'd say that in general terms is good, meaning that there is not a pressing concern on the fiscal front, on structural issues, uh, or calling, thinking about the balance of payments, for instance. Uh, I mean, growth is mediocre, uh, another pothole probably in the second half of last year, uh, considering um, some external concerns, idiosyncratic issues related to erratic policy making. But still, we expect growth to be around 3% this year after the 5 uh, to 5.5% last year. So Mexico is in a recovery mode, still... Uh, ups and downs, uh, some sort of a seesaw pattern. But in general terms, I guess that uh, in this context of boredom about the Mexican economy, something that has been quite remarkable is the constant emphasis on uh, the monetary policy path for Mexico in the context of the Fed actions, right? I think that is going to be very important. And we had a number of uh, questions on that front. And I think that it makes complete sense, right? Given 
all the expectations regarding the quantitative tightening from major central banks, and given that the number of emerging markets, uh, emerging market central banks, are already um, tightening since uh, last year, trying to catch up and prepare to be uh, uh, to be ready to these actions from major central banks, suggest that Banxico will continue to hike in the next few months in such a way that we'll have to respond to the Fed. Uh, uh, hiking rates as soon as March, according to our U.S. economists. And I think that uh, that is very relevant, particularly for Mexico, given the important financial links, trade links. Uh, uh, Banxico has acted in that direction in the past, and in, in the cycle in 2016, 2017, Banxico brought rates to eight and a quarter. Um, back in 2008 and 2009, also, Banxico took rates to the same level. Uh, and this time around, we believe that it's going to be something similar. It's not necessarily the, the same pace, the same uh, magnitude of adjustments, given some of the major inflation risks that we have been highlighting in the past. We think that uh, inflation will reach levels uh, close to 4.3%. Probably there are upside risks in the context of stubbornness on core prices. But still, uh, we believe that uh, the major structural concerns that we have been uh, mentioning in the past, in addition to the erratic policy actions, suggest that Panjico needs to stick to credible and prudential uh, decisions. And uh, that will uh, basically uh, underscore the actions uh, that have been signaled in the minutes recently in the statements since June last year, uh, in the sense that, uh, of course, we will be seeing um, uh, hikes throughout the, most of the year. Not sure that they are going to continue with the 50 basis points that they uh, went uh, for in December. We have a, a call for 50 basis points in February. After that, it will become a little bit more uncertain, given uh, precisely what I mentioned about the Fed. Uh, but uh, this consideration about idiosyncratic factors, and particularly inflation, and on, on the other hand, the concern about Fed decision and the implications on emerging markets suggest that Panjico, to some extent, might decide to link its actions to the uh, FOMC and act accordingly. So we think that rates will reach seven and a quarter by the end of 2022 and eventually reaching levels close to 8% uh, by uh, the second quarter uh, of 2023, uh, even staying at that level uh, for the third quarter of 2023. And, and that's, of course, a different story, maybe given the number of uncertainties we face on a quarterly basis, on an annual basis. But we are confident that Banxico will have to move in that direction uh, because of a very important factor that, 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 that I haven't mentioned yet, which is the concerns we have on the political elements, on uh, issues related to a counter-reform bill that is already uh, under discussion in Congress, and that will set the stage for uh, a further discussion and potentially Banxico being more aggressive on the hiking, uh, uh, on the hiking mode in 2023. But uh, probably uh, I'll need to talk about that later. Thanks, Gabriel. Yeah, very interesting indeed. And, and to our listeners, we, we did a podcast on the energy counter reform with Gabriel uh, at the end of last year. So we invite you to have a, a listen to that to get some more details and a little bit more context. Um, Diego, let's let's head back south. Um, and you, you obviously cover a number of countries, uh, but this time around, which which have been in the front of clients' minds and, and what are they most trying to understand as we head uh, into the new year? Thank you, Ben. So indeed, this time around, uh, almost every discussion has led off with, with Chile. Uh, I would say with particular focus on the economic and fiscal agenda of the administration taking office on March the 11th. Um, 
uh, which uh, President Boric uh, are likely to appoint his cabinet tomorrow. So a lot of discussion on the potential names for Minister of Finance. The other discussion, obviously, has been the central bank uh, uh, monetary policy. So briefly, in regards to the first theme or block, um, we have been of the idea of a further moderation of the administration elect vis-a-vis -vis the program that was laid down for the campaign. Basically, as uh, President Boric uh, will not enjoy majorities in Congress to secure, for example, the five points of GDP uh, increase in the tax burden and in four years and eight points of GDP in eight years. And, and, and in fact, the market has been repricing the idea of, uh, I would say, a macroeconomic fiscal policy more aligned to what actually the center-left bloc presented for the campaign rather than the, uh, 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 the Boric one. Um, also, I would say some comments of President-elect Boric uh, point in this direction. For example, uh, his pledge to, 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 to respect the 2022 fiscal uh, budget law, no, that that encompasses a strong fiscal, uh, structural fiscal consolidation. Also, commentaries on consumption level being unsustainable. So, all in all, I mean, waiting, waiting for tomorrow. Tomorrow, the president-elect will unveil the cabinet. Very important, the name of the minister of finance, but also the power distribution in in, in the cabinet, uh, and that will likely help to to either confirm our hypothesis or uh, force us to reassess uh, on the fiscal trends ahead, uh, fiscal deficits plus obviously medium-term, long-term debt to GDP levels. Another point of discussion has been whether or not the uh, bill on a basic universal pension uh, uh, will be passed in the Senate next week. If it's finally passed, uh, I think it will help to decompress a lot the uh, pension reform political urgency, and that will be, I would say, also positive for the market. Last but not least, a number of questions on the Constitutional Convention, a key risk ahead, uh, in particular as we enter you know, the definition period where the different commissions will have uh, more of a, a substance in the discussion as they start uh, voting uh, uh, on the potential articles for the, for, for the new constitution. Uh, briefly, uh, on, on monetary policy, um, well, we know the central bank is likely to further tighten monetary conditions. The policy rate is already above the level considered as neutral for, uh, for the central bank. We have laid down in our base case scenario, the policy rate reaching 6% by the end of uh, this quarter, the first quarter of the year. Market is pricing a higher terminal rate, around 7%. The main, uh, I would say, source of uncertainty here is on the persistency of the shocks, persistency of the uh, policy accommodation impulse put in this, in particular, in the second half of last year. Um, and the other source of discussion in here is on the neutral rate, which is linked to, 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 to fiscal policy ahead. No? So, for example, we have discussed on the idea that uh, would Debt to GDP uh, levels converge to around 50% uh, in a four or five year uh, uh, period that will require likely uh, the neutral policy rate to increase by 50 basis points. And that would have obviously an impact on the terminal rate uh, uh, or in this cycle of the central bank. So all in all, this is also important for, for, for us in terms of uh, uh, waiting for the cabinet uh, names tomorrow in order to understand better the fiscal strategy and economic reform strategy ahead that would also have an impact on, on, on monetary policy in this current cycle. Um, 
last but not least, Ben, if I may say, um, also plenty of questions uh, uh, on Argentina, um, given in particular the pending uncertainty related to the IMF agreement. Uh, in our year ahead, we laid down a space case scenario that Argentina will not fail into arrears to the IMF, but it's clear that the risks are mounting uh, um, and this base case scenario is, you know, we are having less conviction on that as the government has expressed its aversion to the sort of uh, front-loaded fiscal consolidation that a still soft program will demand to be signed off by, by the board. Um, so therefore, the scenario of uh, protracted arrears to the IMF, you know, is increasing its probability that would reverberate into a more exacerbated stagflation episode. Inflation accelerating likely to about 80%, activity losing, say, three percentage points in a two-year span vis-a-vis -vis our, you know, our current deal scenario, let me put in those terms. Um, last but not least, uh, another key theme under discussion that is obviously related to the negotiations with the IMF is on the potential impact of the uh, of the draw the country is suffering right now. Uh, you know, a more aggressive reduction on um, agricultural crop production will definitely have an impact on, on exports. We need to see what happens with prices, but in principle could have a dramatic a, 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 you know, impact on exports. And obviously that could, you know, uh, uh, force the Argentinian government maybe to, 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 to reassess on, their, uh, on the merits of uh, trying to avoid uh, reducing fiscal expenditure ahead and therefore, you know, maybe panning out uh, an agreement by due time in order to avoid uh, uh, going into arrears by the end of March. So that's, that has been the summary of, uh, of the main uh, discussion themes um, we have had with our, with our clients uh, and investors in the last uh, days. Thanks, Diego. So I guess some of those short-term questions in Chile will certainly give way to more questions. So uh, we, we will be welcoming our ongoing discussions as these issues, uh, as these issues evolve. Uh, let me round out this discussion with Colombia, which has uh, been on the top of uh, investors' minds in, in nearly all the conversations we've been having. Uh, and here, uh, the first and foremost obvious question is the election cycle uh, and what's going to happen. And then investors are also quite keen to understand how, how the risks around political economy, elections, uh, are interacting with the macro and, and uh, the central bank's ongoing tightening cycle, uh, similar to the reason the central bank is tightening in Colombia, but how much more does uh, BANREP have to do in Colombia and, and how uh, does its policy reaction function and, and how it targets its terminal rate, rate uh, interact with the uncertainties around uh, macroeconomic policy and the, the election uncertainty. Uh, so clearly these, these, uh, these stories are all intertwined. Uh, let's start with the election. I mean, we've been reviewing with investors basically just the time frame. Uh, we've got primaries uh, and congressional elections on March 13th. Uh, once we get past that event, I think we'll have much more information value in the polls. Uh, we've seen in past elections in Colombia that uh, polling can shift dramatically as we get sort of in that final home stretch of the race. And right now we certainly have a field which is uh, characterized by Gustavo Petro, um, the second place finisher in the 2018 race, a senator uh, representing the left side of the political spectrum, uh, leading voting intentions by a clear margin in the mid-20s. Uh, and the rest of the, the candidates are sort of in a muddled pack in high single digits, low double digits. 
what we would expect is after we get through the March primaries and the congressional elections, we will have a, a whittling down of this field and we'll have a much clearer sense of, of who are going to be the finalists as we go into the home stretch towards uh, first round elections, which will take place at the end of May. So it's at that point, once we know who will be the candidate of uh, one center left coalition, which will have its primary on March 13th, a center right coalition, which will similarly have its primary that day. If there are any uh, relevant candidates who are going to launch outside of the coalitions, and certainly we have one on the field who is um, uh, Rodolfo Hernandez, former mayor of Bucaramanga. He's he's running as a, as an independent, uh, basically with an anti anti corruption and anti anti establishment message, and he has been polling well. He's moved into second place in the polls uh, in the, the preliminary polling. So we'll need to see how uh, I think we the, the polling shakes out at that point. We'll have a much better idea of uh, likely who will be uh, in a second round, uh, which will take place at the end of in the middle of June, uh, running against uh, what seems likely to be Petro in the first round, who will be his contender. So until we have a better sense of that matchup, it's going to be a little bit uh, more difficult to really uh, gauge whether we have a repeat of 2018, which is basically Petro gets to the second round. Uh, but the sort of center, center right of the political spectrum unify against his rival. Uh, and ultimately that candidate wins, or whether this time around is different for Petro, whether the fundamentals of the, uh, of the electorate of Colombia have changed such that there is more appetite for uh, an anti-establishment figure, such that there is more appetite for a different approach uh, to policy making in Colombia. And certainly Petro would represent an, an important change uh, from the governments and the macroeconomic teams and the macroeconomic framework, which have been put in place over the prior decades in Colombia. Our current base case macroeconomic scenarios, including that for the central bank, um, do uh, are basically going around a scenario of, um, of continuity of macroeconomic policy. Uh, and here, what we're looking at is high inflation, um, not as high as the rest of the region at the end of 2021, particularly core prices were muted. But core prices now coming back quite quickly. Um, Inflation not yet peaking in Colombia, finished 5.6% in 21. We see it peaking at 6.7% in February and staying elevated as core prices move higher. Part of that would be indexation effects uh, on the back of a very strong minimum wage increase at the end of last year. And so the central bank is going to have to deal with uh, keeping inflation expect expectations anchored while they've already been starting to drift more noticeably higher. Uh, while also having some latent concerns about uh, financial stability risks stemming from Colombia's quite large twin deficits. And here we're forecasting the current account deficit to finish at 6% at the end of 21, to stay well above 5.5% in the course of 2022. That's a very large deficit. Uh, it's been increasingly financed less on the margin by FDI, more by uh, multilateral lending, portfolio inflows. Uh, so in this context, uh, we do think the central bank probably needs to move more quickly uh, to get the policy rate back into um, positive real territory and ultimately advance its tightening cycle to get closer to uh, and eventually to a, what would be a neutral rate. So in our scenario, we now have the central bank recognizing some more of these risks, um, accelerating its cycle and hiking by 100 basis points uh, at the end January meeting settling back into a 50 basis point pace. And then the question, of course, we've been getting for Colombia as with the other countries is what is the terminal rate? Here we, we're, we're looking at a 575 terminal rate to this cycle. 
Um, that would be, again, a baseline scenario where we have general continuity uh, of, mac of the macro model, general continuity of, of fiscal credibility, which is a big challenge for Colombia. Um, and, and this should allow inflation expectations in our mind to move lower back into the target range, um, maybe not getting all the way down to the 3% target, but something around 3.5%. And if this is right, and we consider that a, a real neutral rate, given you know, a, a credit premium for Colombia that would correspond to continuity, uh, should be around 2% real neutral rate, then we think that that's pretty consistent with this 575 terminal rate. The question mark here, of course, is if, if the market and investors and the actual political dynamics with the, the election dynamics I've described before uh, point towards lack of continuity, point towards much more uh, market uncertainties uh, around, around credit premium and debt dynamics as we go forward in the future, and therefore merit um, a higher terminal rate and also Ben Rep perhaps having to move more uh, more boldly just to uh, assure investor confidence in, in what could be, again, given vulnerabilities around twin deficits, uh, risks around capital flows. So, you know, these have been the discussions we've been basically having with, with Colombia and, and obviously a lot of moving parts, a lot of intertwined parts, but similar to the rest of the region, it's hard to escape the discussion around politics uh, and around central banks in, in, at this time when they're all on the move and, and the Fed now is also apparently uh, on the move. Well, with that, we'll conclude. I'd like to thank my colleagues for sharing their views. Uh, it's been a pleasure for those of you who we have been talking to in these weeks uh, to have these conversations. Um, again, these questions are all evolving. Uh, we look forward to, to continuing this conversation and dialogue with you uh, as the year goes on. We very much uh, appreciate your support of our research team, and, and we uh, thank you for listening to this podcast. Uh, and with that, we look forward to the next time we talk to you on uh, Global Data Pod Americas. Thank you very much. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded in January 2022.